Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Impact Cyberchurch. Man, alive, we are changing the way the world sees God. What do you mean we're changing? Why do we need to change the way the world sees God? I'll tell you why. Because God is good and he's only good. But most of the world does not believe that. Most of the Christian world does not believe that. The majority of the Christian world believes that it is God bringing the pain into their life. That it is God bringing the suffering into their life. That it is, that it is God messing with them and you know, messing up their life to teach them things. And praise God, that is not the way he does it. You know, it's really interesting. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it's, it's where it describes one of the most challenging but most significant things that ever happened or was recorded in the Bible. And it records what uh, in English we call the exchange. Now, the exchange is where Jesus goes and is crucified. He is hung on a cross. He's crucified. And he becomes our sin so that we can be not only be free from the penalty of the sin, but be free from the power of the sin so that we can be set free to live a godly, righteous, enjoyable, peace-filled, joyful life. And that's, that's really what, what God wants for you. But God starts out in describing what Jesus did on the cross with a question, who believes our report? And the problem is, there are millions of people around the world that believe on Jesus, but they don't believe on the Jesus of the Bible. They talk about some of the things that Jesus did. Uh, you know, they, they acknowledge him, but they don't believe what the Bible says about him. They don't believe that Jesus has delivered us. We don't, we don't have to be afraid of God's wrath. We don't have to be afraid of God destroying us. He has delivered us, and he has empowered us to live this incredible life. And, you know, if we could have lived a great life without Jesus, we would have. But the problem is, we couldn't. Now, we were slaves. We were doing all of the things that, that we believed would bring us happiness. We were doing all the things that we thought would make us, you know, that would satisfy us and make us feel good. But those, we were all doing kind of externally. We were doing things of gratifying our fleshly carnal desires, our lust for sex, our, you know, our unhealthy uh, pursuit of, of what we call love, which isn't, isn't love at all. And so, so we were slaves to those things. There was, no, there was no getting out of all that kind of stuff. And so God makes a way. That's really, really interesting that in Isaiah 52, you know, Isaiah 52 explains the problem that man has. Isaiah 53 tells us what God did about it. And then on the cross. And then Isaiah 54 tells us about the covenant that was made as a result of Jesus being on the cross. Now, this was a plan instituted by the God of peace that was carried out by the Prince of Peace that established what the Bible calls a covenant of peace. 
so that we could go and proclaim the gospel of peace. And because man believed in the gospel of peace and believed in the covenant of peace, he would not be afraid of God. Instead, he would realize how much God loves him and to what extent God is willing to go to make sure that all of us have this incredible life. And so today, I'm, I'm going to be talking today about what I call the secret door. Now, the secret door, this is the door that we enter into. This is how we take the first step of entering into the kingdom and finding that which is hidden from millions of other people, millions of other believers. You say, well, wait a minute. Why does God hide it? God doesn't hide it. It's not God that's hiding anything. You know, God lays all of the kingdom promises, all of the kingdom privileges, all everything that involves the kingdom is actually laid out in plain sight for everyone to see. You say, then, then how, how can it be hidden if it's laid out in plain sight? Well, what makes it hidden is because we are looking to see something other than what God is showing. And so, you know, we will pick up bits and pieces that things that are true, scriptures that are true, we'll claim them, we'll use them, but the real truth is we separate them from what God is really offering as far as life in this kingdom. So in, in uh, um, Isaiah 52, so God says, he asked the question, why, why do my people go into captivity for nothing, for no reason? Now you, you think, well, what do you mean? What, what does that mean? Well, I want, you, I want you to realize something. The book of Isaiah, prophetic uh, scripture, paints this picture, this idea of a person sitting in a prison cell in the darkness, but the door is open, which means they if they perceived that the door was open, they could get up and walk out of prison any time they chose to. As a matter of fact, in uh, the book of Luke, when it talks about uh, God opening blind eyes and God, and God opening prison doors, we attribute that to blind eyes just being the physical blindness that is healed. No, that's not what it's talking about in that passage. You know, Jesus opened a bunch of blind eyes. I have seen hundreds of blind people healed in my international jungle crusades. But that's not what he's talking about. Uh, so, and so then when he talks about the opening of the prison doors, we have this tendency to lift this scripture out of the context uh, that it was provided. And then we start talking about getting people set free from, from demons and you know, you know, that kind of captivity. No, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about, and it's making reference to that verse, where people sit in prison because their eyes have not been opened. They think that they're captive. They think that there is no way out. They think they can't, that they can't get out. And so... All that's got to happen is their, is their eyes have to be open. But we're talking very specifically about the eyes of the heart. And so, so Jesus wants to open the eyes of our heart so that we can see what has already been freely given to us. We can, we can pursue it. We can, we can go out and, and, and experience all of these good things. You know, it's a, uh, a really interesting thing here. 
Over the past decade, people have talked a lot about the law of attraction and, and trying to find a way to manifest the law of attraction. Well, the real truth is, based on everything that I've read, you know, most of the people who teach the law of attraction can't get it to work. But the statistics for people who can get confessions to work and get positive outcomes to work, uh, it's about the same in the secular world as it is in, in, in the world of faith. Because even in the world of faith, only about 15% of people ever get the whole concept of confessing God's Word to actually work. Now, why is that? Why is it so hard to get to work? Well, because uh, it, we change it into something that God didn't really present. Because the idea in the law of confession is to bring your heart into harmony with something God has already promised, already provided, already said. And you're not trying to make anything happen. You're not trying to make anything manifest. You're not trying to get God to do anything. You are trusting. And you're going to enter into that place, by the way, through faith, where you enter into that place of peace. And see, peace comes when you are immovable about the fact that God can be trusted. Man, I'm telling you what, that for me, it took me decades to get immovable because I didn't grow up in a life where where you were safe. I didn't grow up in a world where you could trust the people around you. I grew up in a world where promises were always made and always broken. And so, you know, as, as a child, I can remember many of the times that I struggled with hurt. And, you know, I look back now at many of those things. They were insignificant, but they were significant at the time. They were promises that were made to me. And those promises would nearly never come to pass. Why? Because I call it father. He, you know, he stole our food. He, he stole our money. He did all these horrible things. He beat my mother. And, and so, so my mother would try every way she could give us, to give us a great life. And so she would tell us, you know, that we're going to have a good Christmas or a good birthday or something. And it would nearly always blow up, not because she was a liar, but because our lives were so chaotic and we had people, my father specifically, always kind of being there ready to, to take what little that, that we had. And I just want to say this about my father. Uh, later in his life, he gave his life to the Lord. And honestly, we had a great relationship and I'm thankful for it. So I'm not saying these things just to talk bad about my father. I'm just saying you and I both know what it's like to to hope for something, to have a promise that we're hoping for. Well, many people in God, you know, I think most people tend to see God as the, the genie in the lantern. And if you'll just rub the lamp long enough, the genie's going to pop out and going to give you three wishes. And that's kind of that's the, the way that we tend to see God. So from a more biblical concept, rather than the law of attraction, I believe in the law of perception. Because you see, when God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens were the first phase of creation. The heavens were where all of the subatomic factors that were essential for everything in the material world to be created, they were, they were created in the first phase of creating the heavens. So there were polarities, there, were sub, there was subatomic energy, it was all this kind of stuff. So the Bible is very clear that from that time forward, matter of fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that God created those, 
those things that we see out of the things that were, that were unseen. It doesn't say that he made something out of nothing. Now, he did originally in the first phase of creation, but the second phase of creation, that's where he started using what he had put into this space, into this vacuum, so to speak. And he started speaking those things from his heart, and they started coming to pass. So, so you start realizing even God himself didn't speak something and hope and expect that it would come into being. God knew what existed in creation, and he, he, when he spoke it, he organized, if you will, that which was already there, and it came to pass. But the main thing was he perceived it in his heart first. If you do not perceive something in your heart first, you can confess, you can try to manifest, you can try the law of attraction, you can try the everything, you can try everything you've ever learned about faith. If you, can, if you do not create it in your heart first, the real truth is, it's not going to happen. And so, so uh, uh, God seemed to live more by the law of perception. See it in your heart. Well, that's what we've got to do. If, if we want to escape from these limitations, if we want to escape from the, this horrible life that we might live, or we want to escape from the things that keep corrupting us or messing up our life, the thing is, we, we've got to see it in our heart. It's got to become believable in our heart. So the mysteries of God, all of the mysteries of the kingdom. I mean, stop, stop thinking about it. Your, your foolish person, according to the scripture, is a person who only learns by consequences. And so the, the foolish person isn't teachable. They don't learn by instruction. They learn by consequences. So when you stop and think of the millions of Christians that stand up and say, well, see, God uses hardship to teach us. You know, when my daughter died, I, man, I, you know, God was teaching me. When, you know, when this and this, when tornado hit our house, God was teaching me. Well, what that person is really saying, my heart is closed. The eyes of my heart, the ears of my heart is closed. I do not hear. I don't recognize what God is saying because I live out of my brain and with my eyes instead of out of my heart. And, and so what you're really saying, I'm not going to read the Bible and believe it. I'm not going to believe the promises of God and believe that they're mine based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus. But what I am going to do is I'm going to keep making bad decisions and when things go wrong for my bad decisions, number one, I'm going to blame God. But number two is I'm going to contradict everything that God has said about himself. And I'm going to contradict the idea that he is good and that he is only good. And I'm going to create a, an idolatrous idol of God in my own mind. And the picture that I'm going to have of God, has, it doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't look like the ministry of Jesus. It doesn't look like the life of Jesus doesn't look like the covenant that Jesus established when he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. Doesn't, so, so it's a completely idolatrous uh, thing that I am raising up in my mind. The Bible calls them vain imaginations, where we create these images of God that do not exist. But you see, we don't have to do all that. And we don't have to jump through all of these goofy hoops. We start discovering the, the real truth. We start looking at the fact that what Jesus did is a finished work. God is so good that he provided, he provided through the resurrection just like he did through creation. 
You know, in creation, he, ca- he created the heavens, uh, the expanse, and everything for the rest of creation was provided within that. Nobody had to, had to create something from nothing. Nobody had to, you know, do miracles, if you will, that were allotted only, only to God. All we had to do is believe what God had created and follow the example that, that he modeled. You know, that's it. That's kind of, that's pretty simple. So what starts happening when we start believing the truth about God? So back to Isaiah 52. So God says, why, why do so many of my people go into captivity? For absolutely no reason. And then he says, it is because of what these leaders teach, whether the leaders are other nations that oppress them, whether the leaders are the religious leaders that twist the truth and, and twist the concept of God. And so, so he, but he goes on to say that a time will come when people will see him as he is. Well, how do you see him as he is? Well, you look at Jesus. If you have any belief about God that is inconsistent with what Jesus did or didn't do in his ministry, then the real truth is you've got an idol in your mind. You've rejected uh, Jesus' presentation of himself, and you have created an idolatrous thing in your mind that says, no, God is who I say he is. He is not who Jesus said he was. Well, here's the incredible thing about this. Uh, and that day, the Bible says, when, when we see him as he is, it goes on to say that in that day that uh, it will be said, how lovely in the mountains are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace. Now, stop and think about it. Most people don't even know there is a gospel of peace. Well, the gospel of peace is the good news that God has made peace between himself and the human race. And so that means that you cannot say anytime that a tornado that came through and killed people, that God did it, or that a person had a wreck and killed people, God did it. You can't say that God did any of those things because, I mean, oh man, I, I look back at, you know, like, like Katrina and different, you know, hurricanes whipping up through New Orleans. I, I remember, when, was it Katrina that went through New Orleans and and destroyed, did so much damage, but it didn't even hurt the French Quarter. It didn't even hurt the most wicked part of town. I'm thinking, man, if that was a God thing, he would have knocked out the French Quarter first. We've got all these goofy religious things because we're not really looking at Jesus. We're not letting him open our eyes to who God is. I want you to understand something. All of these mysteries, all of these things, that God has laid out for us that are so good. Uh, and, and, you know, here's, here's one of the things that I love about this. You know, back when the children of Israel, which, are, which is our type that we should be looking at, back when they came out of Egypt, God said, now look, I am holy, so I want you to be holy. Well, you know, we've turned that into some kind of religious goofiness. You know, when I was, I remember one time I was ministering down in Puerto Rico and uh, I had great meetings there and uh, and so the women were telling me that when they went to church, if they wore high heels that were too high, that there were people back in the foyer that would measure their heels. If the heels were too high, they'd cut them off because they needed to be holy. If they were wearing a skirt, even though it went down to their ankles, but maybe the slit in the skirt was, and you know, the slit in the skirt is there to help you walk. They're not there to make you holy. They're there to make you walk because, because otherwise you 
you, you don't have enough room to move your legs. If the slit in your skirt was too long, and I'm not talking about up to your thigh, I'm just talking about maybe anything over six inches or something like that, then they would take safety pins and they would pin up those slits because after all, you've got to be holy. So we have come up with some crazy Pentecostal concept of what holiness is that, that makes it impossible for us to, to function in the world. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But it makes it impossible to win people to Jesus. I mean, who, who, wants, to, who wants to suddenly uh, go back 50 years in time and live in complete legalism, constantly being scrutinized to see if they're holy enough? Well, the word holy really more than anything, it is something that has been set apart for an uncommon use. Sanctification means set apart. Holy means uncommon. So like, you know, when, when God would, uh, you know, when they would, people would donate certain candle stands or they'd make certain candle stands that were used uh, in the tabernacle, they were sanctified. They were set apart for a holy use and they were uncommon, meaning you did not use them for daily stuff. You didn't, you didn't go and use this stuff and sacrifice it to God and take it all home and, and eat your dinner off of it. And so God says, look, I'm not like anything you've ever believed. I am not like any of the religious ideas that you have. I am not like any of these false gods that you heard of because I am a God who is full of compassion. I am a God who loves. I am a God who wants to relate to you as a father relates to his children. And that's not what any of the rest of the world says about their gods. Well, the problem is the children of Israel, they didn't do that. They didn't obey the very first thing that God told them. You know, the whole theme of the book of, of Exodus is be holy for I'm holy. And the people did not do it. They, they did not trust that God was who he said he was. And so that this, you know, this ended with them making a 40-year, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word I want to use, uh, a journey of confusion and chaos in the wilderness because they would not believe that God is who he said he is. And like I say, when you stop and think about, here's this idea that we have about God, where it's like, okay, he's just like all the pagan gods. You know, we got to give him sacrifices. We got to keep him happy so he doesn't kill us. That's all nonsense. I mean, that has nothing to do with the love of God. But, uh, the Bible says just the opposite. You know, remember, Jesus established a new covenant. We come into that covenant. We have all the benefits and privileges and rights and responsibilities of that covenant. And so in this new covenant, says, you know, Paul talks about it in the book of Corinthians. He says, look, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man all the good things that God has for us because they are revealed to us only by the Holy Spirit. So God is so incredibly good that we can't even get our heads around it without the help of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, only speaks to us in our heart. In the book of Proverbs, you will run across, and there may be some other places, I can't remember where all it is. You'll see in the King James the word froward. Well, when you look up the word froward uh, in the original language, you'll realize it's just the word crooked. And what's really interesting is Proverbs says that the crooked or the froward heart cannot find good. Well, all right, so if, God, if, if, if you have never seen anything as good as God is, this is what Paul says. This is not, you know, this is not me. 
If you've never seen anything as good as God is, if you have never heard anything that's as good as God really is. As a matter of fact, you've probably never even imagined anything that will reveal to you how good God is. You say then, okay, can't see it, can't hear it. I can't imagine it. My imagination, I mean, I think, I think great positive thoughts, but I can't, I can't even imagine it. So how do I find that out? I'll tell you how you find it out. You enter through that door of your heart where you say, God, you're good. So if my heart is not straight, if my heart is not in harmony with how you have revealed yourselves through your name, through uh, creation, through the life and the death, ministry, and the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, you've revealed all of these things to me, but since all of these things reveal your goodness, my problem is I evidently have a crooked heart because I have a hard time seeing and believing and trusting that you are as good as you say you are. So if I can't find good, I can't find God in my circumstance. I'm like that guy sitting in prison in the darkness, and God's already opened the door. God's already set me free, but I can't perceive it because of my heart. You know, Luke 17, verse 20, the Pharaohs were, Jesus, you know, they realized that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And so, so they came and they said, well, okay, so uh, when, uh, when the kingdom of God would come, or when is it going to come? And he said, look, the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation, nor will they say, see here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now, we know based on hundreds of other scriptures that when Jesus makes this reference to the kingdom of God being within you, he's talking about something that actually happens in your heart because your heart is the place where you connect with God. You, know, you have faith in your heart. You have love in your heart. You have peace in your heart. You have joy in your heart. Everything about you and God is based on what you ex are experiencing in your heart. But see, our problem is we want to see the kingdom externally. We don't, we don't want to have a heart filled full of love. We don't want to have a heart filled with peace. We don't want to have a heart filled with faith. We want to have a, a house filled with a bunch of good stuff. We, you know, we want all of these external things because we think that there's some kind of, there's some kind of great life that we will enjoy if we have all the right external things. Well, no. The Bible says just the opposite. It says, it says, it's when you experience these things within you that you enter into this realm called the kingdom of God. And, and, and no matter what's going on around you, good or bad, you're going to be stable. You're going to have peace. You're going to have joy. You're going to have confidence. And you're going to experience this thing called grace, which I want to just tell you, the fake grace movement, I mean, they twist the meaning of grace. Grace is the power of God that works inside you that makes you able to be happy even when everybody else is panicking. Makes you able to have peace even when everybody else is afraid. Makes you able to stand up and be bold even when you something in you wants to cower down. Listen, this doorway, this secret doorway is the door of our heart. And if we stop, quit looking. See, we think, we think eventually if enough good things happen in my life, that's going to confirm to me, you know, that I'm a believer and I'm in the kingdom. No, no, it won't. Because you don't observe the kingdom of God by anything that happens externally. You only see and experience and recognize by what's going on inside you. And if you have a heart that is 
open to it and willing to hear, receive, and experience what God's doing inside you. Man, I can't even wait. By the way, I got a great series on this. It's eight messages, and they're not a they're not a do-over of what I do here in these in these uh, videos. Uh, most of the people that get the audio messages, people say, "Hey, I want to be a disciple. I am a believer. I want to be a disciple, so I want to go. I want to dive deeper." And by the way, if you purchase the eight message series, whether you do it in CD or whether you do it uh, as a download, you will get a complimentary copy of my book, Heaven on Earth, which many people say is the most influential and significant book that I've ever written. I don't know if that's true or not. You can decide for yourself. But here's the deal. Establish this in your heart and take it to the world around you. And I'll talk to you some more next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.